By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today my thoughts turn to an important subject, food diversity. Last week I took part in a panel discussion called Bottling Diversity that was one of a series of discussions on a rich variety of topics all relating to this important concern. It was, in fact, all part of Food Diversity Day, an event organized by award-winning journalist and author Dan Saladino. I'd like to share some further thoughts on this important subject in relation to Italian wine. Bottling diversity, further thoughts arising from Food Diversity Day. In the global supermarket of seemingly endless choice, the real and genuine foods available to us all are sadly getting fewer and fewer. If we are what we eat, then we should all be concerned that this diminution of food and drink is impacting negatively the very quality of our lives as well as making our planet poorer. Dan Saladino, the award-winning journalist and presenter of BBC Radio 4's acclaimed weekly food program, realized that many of the most delicious foods and drinks in the world are increasingly in danger to the point even of extinction. Yet these endangered foods and drinks represent generations of tradition, culture, and history, and continue to exist not least because they offer unique flavors and taste experiences worthy of being safeguarded. Dan's first book, Eating to Extinction, published by Jonathan Cape in 2021, was a result of this research, and it has already won numerous awards and has been hailed as an inspiring and urgent book, full of both loss and hope. To bring attention to food and drink diversity as well as to celebrate it, Dan conceived and organized Food Diversity Day, a mainly online event that took place on January 13, 2023. It brought together an extraordinary and widely embracing group of participants located all around the world to take part in panel discussions about all aspects of food and drink diversity exploring issues relating to varieties of grains and seeds, breeds of livestock, 
fish and shellfish, vegetables and fruits, pulses, dairy products, how chefs can help to promote biodiversity, and all the various types of fermented beverages produced all around the world. The aim of the day was to explore ways that food and drink diversity can be increased. In essence, a call to action to encourage all of us to look to achieve greater diversity in what we eat, drink, and enjoy. I was part of the bottling diversity group discussion that explored diversity in drinks. My fellow panelists were Sarah Abbott, M.W., who gave an inspirational overview of the Old Vines Project and why it is imperative to safeguard this vital and precious part of the world's vinous heritage. Chaba Pariban, who joined us from Mexico City, gave an insight into the many varieties of agave cactus, the extraordinary and mind-altering spirits that result, and their importance in Mexican popular culture. Gabe Cook, an independent global expert on cider and perry, astonished us with a whirlwind overview of the incredible variety of cider apples and perry pears, and made us all immediately want to drink and taste every single one. John Letts, farmer, botanist, and heritage grain expert, explained his motive for choosing to cultivate heritage grains and how he transforms his harvest into artisan small-batch alcoholic distillations. This fascinating discussion was curated by Pete Brown, an expert and prolific author on beer and other drinks. My panel contribution was on biodiversity in wine, and in particular Italian wine. With only five minutes for each of us, there was not sufficient time to fully address this vast topic, so I'm putting down some further thoughts here. There are possibly some 1,400 different varieties of Vitis vinifera sativa, the domestic European wine grapevine. And Italy has almost half of them. Italy, in fact, can be proud to be one of the most biodiverse wine-producing countries in the world. For indeed, if nearly a third of all wines produced globally is made from a diminishing handful of grape varieties, a dozen at most, Italy, by contrast, can proudly boast some 600 official wine grape varieties that are still in use around the country. How has Italy managed to maintain such heartwarming vinous biodiversity? The answer may in part be historical, in part due to the proud individualistic psyche of Italians who simply refuse to be shoehorned into conformities, whether vinous or anything else. The Italian peninsula, after all, was only unified for the first time since the fall of the Roman Empire, as recently as 1861. Prior to unification, Italy was made up of a collection of duchies, principalities, and kingdoms, with the Spanish ruling over all of southern Italy and Sicily, the Austro-Hungarian Habsburgs overseeing northeast Italy, the Savoia ruling the so-called Kingdom of Sardinia that extended even over the Alps into what today is French Savoie, the Papal States covering much of central and eastern Italy, the Grand Duchy in Tuscany, and various other duchies and principalities, some of which were surrogates to greater powers. There was no sense of Italian national identity, and indeed people's loyalties lay mainly with their own community, not even with something so nebulous as a region. After unification, the statesman Massimo D'Azeglio famously was compelled to declare, We have made Italy, now we must make the Italians. It is a task that may still be something of a work in progress, 
for Italy and Italians have clung stubbornly and beautifully to a sense of identity that often seems to go no further than the bell tower of the neighborhood or rione of the town or city in which they were born. This is reflected in their language, culture, loyalty to a sporting team, and of course in their preferences for food and not least wine. It is no accident that the slow food movement, born to safeguard traditional foods, wines, food products and produce, even traditional dishes, could only have been born in Italy. The precision of local taste is extraordinary, and one happy result of this campanilismo is Italy's incredibly rich biodiversity in food and also in wine. Great varieties, in many cases outstanding and unique varieties of world class, are quite simply grown in one locality and nowhere else. Verdicchio, one of the great white wine grapes of Italy and indeed the world, is only cultivated in two parts of Le Marche, the Castellidiesi and Metallica. Why has it not been planted elsewhere? Bernaccia, possibly Tuscany's best native white grape variety, is cultivated only in vineyards around the town of San Gimignano and nowhere else. Sagrantino, a red grape that makes dense, concentrated, and highly tannic red wines, is found only in vineyards around the town of Montefalco, in Umbria. Corvina, the great grape of Valpolicella and Amarone, rarely, if ever, strays from the vineyards of Verona. Nebbiolo, one of Italy's greatest red grapes, reigns supreme only in Piedmont, and in one tiny wine cave in the high mountains of Lombardy's Valtellina. Across southern Italy, each region has its favorite grape varieties that are grown there and rarely anywhere else. In Sicily, Nerello Mascalese is found almost exclusively on the slopes of Mount Etna. Calabria has Galliopo and Greco, varieties that have ancient roots extending deep in time to when southern Italy formed part of Magna Grecia. In Puglia, Negro Amaro is cultivated on the Salento Peninsula the far southern heel of the Italian boot, but Nero di Troia is a preferred variety just a little further north. Montepulciano, a red grape capable of making both juicy, easy pizza wine, as well as complex and concentrated reds that rank among Italy's greatest, seems to thrive only on vineyards that rise above the Adriatic coast in Abruzzo and Le Marche. And there are countless other examples almost too many to drink. Italy's vinous biodiversity is so rich, so rewarding for the intrepid and curious wine lover, that it is easy to think that it just is, because it always has been. However, an important lesson to learn from Italy that may be applicable not only to wine growers elsewhere, but also to growers of other edible crops, is that biodiversity must never be taken for granted. Indeed, Italy's great biodiversity of wine grapes would be far less rich and far less interesting if it were not for a handful of dedicated wine growers who have toiled tirelessly to rescue grape varieties from near extinction and to champion them for us all to enjoy. After the devastation of World War II that left many, if not most, of Italy's wine country in ruins, some growers took the decision to replant vineyards not with their own native or local grape varieties, but with alternatives that were possibly more prolific, less prone to disease, and or possibly more marketable. Who can blame them? 
but others resisted and kept faith in the traditional varieties that they and their families had always grown across the generations, not necessarily for commercial reasons, but simply because they were part of who they were, who they had always been. Antonio Mastro Berardino, whose family wine estate in Inland Campania was founded in 1878, was one such post-war visionary winemaker. After the devastation of the war, when his vineyards and cellar were left in ruins, he chose to rebuild on a foundation based firmly on the ancient, finest patrimony of the area, which could be traced directly back to antiquity. Alianico and Greco were both grape varieties that had probably been cultivated by the ancient Greeks, and certainly the Romans. Another grape he managed to rescue almost from extinction was Fiano, a variety once prized, but which had become virtually non-existent because it was difficult to grow, low-yielding, and so had been grubbed up and replaced by easier and more prolific varieties. Mastro Berardino, however, believed that this ancient variety, possibly cited by Pliny the Elder in his Historis Naturalis, should not be allowed to disappear. So he carefully nurtured old vines from them and from them propagated new. In 1952, he was thus able to harvest 50 kilos of Fiano and made just 30 bottles. Today, Fiano di Avellino is considered one of the great white wines of Italy. Italian Wine Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. Another example of dogged determination to rediscover and safeguard an historic grape variety can be found in Le Marche. Marilena Cocci Grifoni recently explained to me how her father Guido, at their wine estate in the southern part of the region around Ofida, had long heard talk of a fabled wine grape that had once been highly regarded, but due to its low productivity had been replaced with other more prolific varieties. In 1982, Guido Cocci somehow managed to track down one of the few remaining examples of this ancient vine, discovered somewhere around Arquata del Tronto in the Sibillini National Park. He took some cuttings and made the first grafts to propagate the plant. He was patient, and it was not until 1987 that he had sufficient to sow what is now known as the Pecorino Mother Vineyard. Today, the Pecorino grape variety is widely grown across the southern Le Marche, as well as in neighboring Abruzzo, though the finest examples still come from around Ofida, where such wines are entitled to select DOCG status. Just think, if it hadn't been for Guido Cochi Grifoni's curiosity and dedicated efforts, none of us would have ever had the chance to taste the magnificent, compact, and structured Pecorino white wines that are the result. Elsewhere, intrepid archaeologists of the vine sought to discover and rediscover ancient varieties. Viticulture was once prevalent within the Venetian lagoon, with vineyards planted even in the many campi of Venice itself. After the war, however, it made little economic sense to continue this activity when cheaper and more plentiful wines could so easily be sourced from vineyards on the mainland. The devastating flood of 1966 was the final straw, and an agricultural activity that had existed for centuries and millennia 
and virtually cease to exist. However, people still remember the wine of Venice, dream perhaps of one day tasting it again. Gianluca Bizol, the visionary winemaker from the Prosecco wine hills of Valdobbiadene, believed that it could be possible to restore viticulture to the Venetian lagoon. He began to search islands for any remaining ancient grapevines and eventually discovered some of the last remaining examples of a vine the old Venetians remembered as Dorona, unique to the Venetian lagoon because it had evolved and adapted over the centuries to its unique watery environment, a vine remarkably able even to survive regular flooding with the brackish waters of Aqualta. Again, the few discovered vines needed to be patiently propagated to reproduce sufficient to plant a vineyard. A site was found on the island of Mazzorbo, and the wonderful and exciting Venisa project was born. Preserving biodiversity is not just living in the past. Italian winemakers have brought modern sensibilities and technologies to ancient, sometimes forgotten vines. In Ruero, near Alba in Piemonte, the white grape, Arnese, was often found amongst vineyards mainly planted with Nebbiolo. A row here, a row there, the red grapes mixed with a little white and all harvested together to make a field blend, the white softening the sometimes harsh tannin of the red to produce a more supple and easy-drinking wine. Bruno Ceretto, however, considered that Arnese had the capacity to make a great white wine in its own right, and out of nowhere and from no tradition, he planted a vineyard of Arnese and created an ultra-modern winery with the latest technologies to produce the sleekly beautiful and elegant Arnese Blanger that is one of Piedmont's most outstanding whites. Across Piedmont's wine hills to the Colli Tortonesi, Walter Massa has done something similar with another previously unheard of variety, Chimorasso. Massa's rediscovery and championing of this ancient, almost lost variety has resulted in an extraordinary white wine that has an ability to evolve with age in the process, gaining richly textured and concentrated flavors and aromas. Other wine growers in the area followed suit, and the resulting Dertona wines have been hailed as the region's white Barolo. Sometimes the risk to biodiversity can come through state bureaucracy. In Friuli, the Nonino family, seeking ancient native grape varieties to distill into grappe, discovered that some of the most representative and traditional of them, namely Schiopettino, Tazzelenge, and Pignolo, had not been inserted in the European community list of viticultural varieties allowed to be cultivated in Friuli. The Noninos worked tirelessly to gain recognition for these traditional grape varieties, thus vitally preserving the biodiversity of their corner of Italy and resulting in grapes that are today widely grown to produce some of the region's most distinctive wines. As a bonus for lovers of strong alcoholic distillations, the vinacce, or grape pomace, left after the winemaking process, is sent to the Nonino Artisan Distillery be crafted into magnificent monovarietal grappe. In some cases, preserving biodiversity is also a means to preserve ancient ways of life. In central Sardinia, tending low-yielding old vines had become an activity 
that was no longer commercially viable or capable of supporting families. So many vineyards were being abandoned as families moved to the city in search of work and a better life. The Bentu Luna project has sought to revalue an ancient patrimony and risk of being lost by bringing life back to these vineyards and restoring communities that had almost died, with a new generation of young people now returning to their family farms. Today, working in partnership with some 25 families, Bentu Luna is reaping a precious harvest from old vine grape varieties such as Bovale, Monica, and Cananao to produce a range of wines that are uniquely individual and of the highest quality. Will climate change hinder biodiversity, or can it even help? Those who make wine, those who drink wine, are in no doubt whatsoever of the realities of climate change. For the increase in average temperatures is having great impact on wine regions around the world. Italy's Francia Corta, an area of Lombardy around the beautiful Lake Orto, has long been considered the country's premier wine zone for the production of quality sparkling wines made by the classic method of secondary fermentation in the bottle. These stylish sparkling wines produced mainly from Chardonnay with some Pinot Noir and Pinot Bianco grapes are Italy's answer to Champagne, prestige wines for special times and celebrations. But as average temperatures continue to rise, the very character of Franciacorta is at risk, for early ripening, especially of Chardonnay, can result in examples that are rich in flavor and complexity, but lacking in that necessary backbone of steely acidity that gives them their freshness and vibrancy. However, an ancient grape variety, Herbamat, long grown on the gentle moraine slopes of this area, but almost abandoned, may prove to be something of a savior. Its disease resistance, long growing cycle, and high natural acidity means that when judiciously added to the cuvee, it can lend that missing extra zip and finesse that is the hallmark of great sparkling wines. The th same thing is happening in wine regions around the world, even Bordeaux, as new and ancient varieties are having to be sought and introduced to combat the effects of climate change. In Italy and everywhere else, biodiversity never just is. If it exists in rich abundance as it still does in Italy, it is for a myriad of reasons, historical, sometimes by haphazard chance, but mainly through the efforts of hardworking generations, as well as the determination and dogged curiosity of inspired wine growers who never stop believing in the value and worth of their unique patrimony of native grape varieties. Biodiversity should never be taken for granted, especially in a modern world where the lure of commercial homogeneity at the expense of individuality is ever-present. It is something that must always be jealously and joyously safeguarded and indeed celebrated. So the next time you are perusing an Italian wine list or looking for a bottle from a wine shop or online or perhaps traveling, I urge you to choose something that you have never heard of before or known nothing or little about. Susumaniello from Puglia, Spoletino from Umbria, Prie Blanc from the Valle d'Osta, Vitovska from Friuli's Carso, Biancolella from Ischia, or so many, many others. The same goes for wines from many other countries too, with notably rich biodiverse wines coming from Georgia, Greece, Portugal, and elsewhere. 
and not forgetting all the exciting and unique Criolla varieties of South America. The clear message from Food Diversity Day is be bold, be adventurous, be curious. The future of our wine world depends on it. For more information about Food Diversity Day, visit www.fooddiversityday.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.